Hi, this is Dr. MJ coming to you from beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. This is the Women in Dentistry podcast where we feature women in dentistry making waves and leading the industry through the next decade. I am your host, Dr. Mary Jane Hanlon, a former dental assistant, dental hygienist, and now dentist. I am very pleased to introduce you today to Ms. Marianne Dreyer. Marianne is one of the dental industry's most outspoken educators on the subject of periodontal instrumentation and a champion of early and advanced introduction to ultrasonic instrumentation into the dental hygiene curricula. Her dynamic presentations, articulate academic instruction, and insightful curriculum development consultation are founded on more than 30 years of oral health experience. As such, Marianne is is sought after nationally and internationally for her presentations on ultrasonic technique, risk assessment, infection prevention, and radiology technique. Marianne has held faculty positions at dental hygiene programs in Texas and Massachusetts and is currently the program director at Cape Cod Community College in Massachusetts. It is my pleasure now to bring you to my interview with Ms. Marianne Dreyer. Marianne, it's so great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know it's been crazy with everything that's going on, but and and you're you know busy speaking all over the place and working with your students. So I appreciate your time. I'd like to start out by you sharing your story and how you got into dentistry with us, and then we'll see where it goes from there. How's that? Excellent. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited about this series and. You know, I just think it's so needed. Women in dentistry, certainly the, you know, the ratio is, is, is certainly almost tipping more towards women in dentistry. So we need to, we need to band together and have that sisterhood almost, but, but also really find a way for the hygienist, in my opinion, to work with the docs a little bit better. And I want to, hopefully you'll ask me a little bit about that, but my pleasure, my pleasure to be here. So I've been in dentistry for many, many moons. I, um, always wanted to be a teacher actually and I went to high school in the um, graduated in 1980 and during that time in the Boston area anyway the teaching market was just flooded and I remember my mother saying don't go into teaching (laughs) so I um, believe it or not something you might not know about me I never had my teeth cleaned until I was 18 years old whoa and I don't blame my parents so much about that I think it wasn't quite as common and um, you know, lots of children and, and they treated basically emergency needs. But I remember going to the dental hygienist and I was in that phase of what am I going to do? What, what should I do? Which is a hard decision at 18. I think, I think career counseling is really needed in high schools more so. But I remember going to the dental hygienist and sitting in that chair thinking, she is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> And, 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 you know, you smell the whole dental office thing and you get certainly nervous about that. But I just was so taken with her and what she did and, and the time she spent. And, and she was so personable. And for a young girl, a young woman at 18, I thought, that's what I want to do. So I um, applied to Forsyth School for Dental Hygienists in Boston and um, was so excited, got in and started my career there. And Moved off to Virginia Beach and went to Old Dominion University, ODU, to finish my my, um, bachelor's degree. Spent a little time down there and um, 
loved it. I love the portability of it. I love the fact that you could move to any state really. And certainly there's licensing um, obstacles, which we're dealing with now with COVID. Uh, you and I have had a fair conversation about that, haven't we? We have, we have, because I'm, I'm certainly, I'm directing the program at Cape Cod Community College. And certainly you are um, directing the clinical part of Tufts and so many obstacles for these students, for these seniors. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been a very hard time. So I, I ended up back in Boston, which, which was wonderful and worked, continued to work in private practice. And I loved it, I loved it, but there was a still part of me that wanted to teach. So long story short, I did several years in private practice, was able to get a break in teaching. And um, I always have had the utmost admiration for teachers. And, and you know, back when I went to hygiene school, you, you didn't speak, you just listened. <laughs> uh, and they were just, you know, so on a pedestal as they should be on some level, but I was just in awe of the whole education part of it and fortunately have gone full circle with being in education, directing the program. And um, I just feel very, very blessed to be where I'm at. I do some speaking too, as you know, and it's just been a very rich career in dentistry. It's it's just afforded so many wonderful things. My husband's a dentist and um, our daughter's a dental hygiene instructor in Boston. So lots of dentistry in the family and uh, that's really kind of how I came to be in this whole profession. Oh my gosh, that's fabulous. I had no idea that the whole family was involved. This is the first time I knew that your husband was a dentist. So that's awesome. Yes, it is. We have a, we have a son, Patrick. <laughs> He's not going to go into dentistry. <laughs> I always when we talk about. <laughs> He's staying out, huh? Yes, actually, he's living in Austin. He's living the life. He's uh, in the insurance business. He's doing great. But yeah, um, it's just been a great, great life in dentistry. It's been very good to me. Absolutely. So I want to go back because something that you said really kind of reminded me of something when I was growing up. So when I first went to Forsyth, as you know, I was a hygienist before I became a dentist. I, I, was, I practiced 15 years. And when I was a student there, do you remember the where the endo clinic was, that circular rotunda room at Forsyth? I sure do, near the ortho. Exactly. And I had my teeth cleaned, I think, for the very first time there as well. Because when you said that, it, I had a flashback to one of my first visits at Forsyth. And as a student, I someone uh, cleaned my teeth for me. I don't remember the logistics at this point. But I remember my gums bleeding like crazy. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to let this happen to my mouth ever right. again. Right. Experience is everything. <laughs> right. It was a very traumatic experience. So it's, it's interesting that you said that. And I didn't remember that until you did. But I don't think I think you're right. I don't you know, we can't blame our parents because obviously I know I went to the dentist all the time. I, I remember coming out and and the, uh, the hygienist told my, my mother, well, she's got 10 cavities this time. I thought my father was going to kill me. Because <laughs> when you have six kids and one of them has 10 cavities, uh, yeah, yeah, it didn't go over well. So your experience, you know, started right away, both beat in, uh, in dental hygiene, and you loved education right from the get-go. So now, did you have to get an advanced degree in teaching in order for you to develop your teaching curriculum and, and everything for school? Yeah, I actually um, moved to Dallas, Texas in the late 80s and um, 
was working private practice. That's where I met my husband. And I mean, never forget there was a um, ad in the, in the paper, or I don't know how they advertised then for a clinical part-time faculty. So I said to him, what do you think? And, and he's like, yes, you should go in and apply. And I just remember a, a woman I love so much who's still really like a second mother to me, um, Joanne Fletcher, who is the director of the program in Texas. She interviewed me and I remember my knees were shaking under the table. I, I know I felt like the table was moving. Mm-hmm. And after it was done, like <laughs> when I took the car, my husband drew, drove me and I said, oh, I'm never going to get it, but that was a great experience. And sure enough, she called and, and offered me the position. And she was a native New Englander. I think that had something to do with it. She took a chance. She took a chance on me. And I was in clinic very part-time. Um, but I, I think this is such an important statement. I, Doing private practice, there was a sense sometimes of looking at the clock and thinking, okay, I've got two more hours. And it's hard work. And I remember being in the clinic, looking up at the clock, thinking, oh, I only have two more hours. I, I wish I had longer. And it, it it just was so rewarding right out of the gate. I just, I loved it. And, but I also felt as a new educator and as a young educator that, boy, I've got a lot to learn. And it's a little bit of faking it till you make it because it's a different region of the country. So I eventually went back and got a master's degree to answer your question um, from St. Joseph's College of Maine. And um, was in Texas for almost 20 years and then came back to the Boston area and been at Cape Cod community, uh, as well as spent a long time with Dent's Blyce But yeah, so I had to get the master's in education for full-time teaching and you, you need a master's, which is really, it should be. And to do any kind of leadership roles, my, my sense is that you need some type of, a, a de- an advanced degree in education of some sort. Yeah, and I think that you're seeing dental hygiene programs start starting to add layers. You know, you're seeing the dental hygiene practitioner, and certainly you have to be a degree above that. But, you know, I have a lot of pride in the community college system. I think that they, you know, I feel like we turn out beautiful dental hygienists. Should you go on for the ma- for the bachelor's? Absolutely, if you can. Uh, there's a lot of bridge programs, but to teach, you really should have a master's. And let me add to that, to teach, you should have some years in the trenches because you do see some educators going, you know, hygiene wise anyway, ASBS, MS teaching or MED teaching. And you really can't teach it until you do it and and get in those different intricate positions (laughs) and situations. I I have to say, I wholeheartedly agree with you because I feel the same way in, in the dental school that the faculty members that the students appreciate the most are the ones that have private practice experience and that at least have gotten out there and had the experience of knowing what it's like to be outside. Because there is that gap that exists between what the educational perfection is that we try to teach and what the real world is like. I think that gap is closing now and narrowing because of the necessity to follow the rules, especially in the era of COVID-19. But I do think that, that, you know, there is that gap there and, and that, uh, you know, real world and academia don't always see eye to eye. No, absolutely. And I, and I so respect your institution. Tufts University is, is probably the best in the country. Um, you look at NYU, you look at the big, big institutions. And um, I think, man, <laughs> I complain about calibration. So, so I think not only do you have to be careful of teaching just to the text you have to teach the experience but you also have to be calibrated and that's such a challenge in education um it's hard to be calibrated if you don't have those years of experience and uh 
but yeah, it's fun. It's a blast. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. So what color was your textbook? Ooh, pink, I believe. Ah, Esther's was pink. I believe it was pink. I, oh, oh, was it that mint green color? Isn't that terrible? I graduated from Forsyth in 83. Oh my gosh, you graduated a year after me. You were a year before me. 82. Ooh, I did not know we were that close. I did not know that. Isn't They're that bigger classes, yeah. So you tend to stay with those who are in your alphabet exactly. name. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Over, over Punter's Pub. Punter's <laughs> Yep, I know. I know what what happened in Boston stays in Boston, right, Marianne? Absolutely. But you know, I graduated with Marion Mansky. Oh, I know the name. Uh, yes, yes. So yes. she's she's a love, and she's now directing phones, dental hygiene school, University of in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Yes, and she was University of Maryland for a long time. So um, it's really great. I've got a great circle of director friends that have been just wonderful. I've only been a director for a year, so it's important to reach out and have that support. You've been wonderful to me. It's it's hard to take on that leadership role, but if you know you can do it and it's in your heart and you feel like you can really make a difference, you need to do it. You need to find what it takes to do it and stay connected with people and believe in yourself. I agree. And I think that there is no shortage of people being willing to help. I think that, you know, you just have to ask and people are, are more than willing to you know, give you information, you know, put you on the right track, at least help you align your thought process into what you, they think you should be doing. And then you can make it your own. But I totally agree with you. You can't, you can't do any role, leadership role without support of one, one sort or another. And like you said earlier, fake it until you make it right. 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 And you know, I will tell you, not just because we're here and we're doing this, you, you have taken time to answer me questions in such depth. And I, I really do appreciate, you know, and some people don't, they're busy, they don't get back to you. And that, that's one thing or another, but we're all trying to do the same thing at the end of the day. We're, we're all trying to create great clinicians and, you know, formulate and enhance the profession and, and produce clinicians that can make a difference as well. So I just, I find your giving incredible. And you're right, there are some people that will do that, but you, you have to ask. And I think sometimes you get stuck in the mindset of, I'll either just do it myself in that silo format or, you know, just seek on your own. And does, if you network and you get with some people, you'd be surprised how many want to just, or have the same questions you do. <laughs> right, right, right. And and I've seen that a lot during this whole COVID the pandemic is is that we all just needed to be educated right and those people that were panicking a lot were were basically panicking because they just didn't know the information yet true and it's, it doesn't feel good to not know i think i think it, you know we're perfectionists if you don't know something it's unsettling right so tell us a little bit more about your daughter being a hygienist and what it's been like to teach with her and I just find that fascinating. I'm so excited that you have that to share with your daughter. She yeah, she's a beautiful girl. She's she's exceptional, I will say. She was actually gonna go to a school up in Boston and she I think she started actually at Mass College for a semester or so. She got accepted into UNC Chapel Hill down there with uh, Rebecca Wilder, who's one of my mentors and gurus. And um she was thrilled because she was raised in Dallas, so she's she's a Southern girl, so she went down there, became a Tar Heel and, and got her bachelor's in dental hygiene and, and came back up to the Boston area and started private practice. And then she got a day teaching at Mass College of Pharmacy. And 
she did a day teaching at the Cape where I teach, and um, she now has a full-time position at uh, Mass College of Pharmacy doing more uh, rotations, uh, externships right now. But they're just, Diane Smallage is the director over there now, a lovely, lovely woman, and just a great caring faculty that have put their arms around her. And yeah, it's been great. You know, funny story, I, I, I actually started working with Densply Serona for a while. I was full-time with them. I did ultrasonic and, and clinical education. And I'll never forget, she was to take her board exams, my daughter, and she actually took them in Massachusetts because she knew she wanted to live here. And I was flying around the country speaking with Densply, and she was calling me and getting very emotional, but I can't find a patient. Da, 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 da. I remember saying, you know what? You got to do it. <laughs> you got, I can't do that for you. And, and, and that's where, you know, sometimes younger generation, they just need that push to know they can do it. And, and she did get through it. But, you know, waiting for my own board results was excruciating. I, I took boards in Virginia, Texas, waiting for her results. <laughs> it was nerve wracking. It was nerve wracking. So it's been beautiful. We do a lot of collaboration now. We speak together now. Uh, we do um, AAP lectures together on the new updated AAP. We've done a lot of that presenting together. And yeah, it's very lucky. It's, it's, it's really great. And you see the different generations, certainly. And, you know, I'll say things sometimes I can see her go, <laughs> you know, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm teaching her a thing too. So. Well, of course, because she doesn't have the experience that you have, right? That's right. That's right. I'm seasoned. I'm not old, I tell her. That's right. That's right. Been there, done that, seen, been around the blocks a few times. And that comes, you know, with that comes a lot of knowledge, right? Absolutely. And, you know, the years of, of speaking in front of large audiences, the five years I spent with Densply, and then I had my own company before I became director, um, if I was speaking on a topic, whether it was radiology, local anesthesia, whatever the topic was, if I had to stay up the whole night before to get those answers, I did because my whole fear was I'd be up on that stage, <laughs> mic'd up, and, and you know that one person's going to ask that question. <laughs> so to a fault, I probably overprepared, but you have to take pride in what you do. And I just think all those aspects of my career has, has, has given me that well-roundedness and you know, you can't get through the middle of that. You have to go around and develop it. Well, you're absolutely right. Great point. You can't get a, around the work. That's right. Doing the work is what's necessary to get the goal, right? And you can't expect that the goal is going to come without doing the work. That's right. And, you know, I was actually back in 2012 going for a full-time position at the Cape. I think we moved up from Texas in 08, maybe. and. Um, I did not get the position, which was heartbreaking because I was a first year coordinator back in Dallas. And long story short, that's how I ended up with Densply Serona and nothing's an accident. And that five years with me, with that company, um, I can't say enough about it, Elegant Company was so good for me because I was one of those students, believe it or not, because <laughs> you can't shut me up half the time. I was one of those students of people that could not literally say, hello, my name is, and do the introduction without that fight or flight, feeling I had to leave the room. My palms would, I would literally almost get an anxiety attack. And, you know, my former director back in Texas knew that. And right now I don't even blink about it, but I think it's a very common occurrence. Oh, absolutely. You mean for the, the general public? Yes, yes. And to overcome that, it took a while. It took a few years to overcome that. I just, that was a huge gift. 
And so, you know, being in the role I'm in mean, now, you do have to walk into some big rooms and, and meet with some big people and have discussions. And I just feel like everything kind of laid in place the way it should. So, you know, what do they say? What do they say about unanswered prayers? <laughs> yeah. So tell the audience a little bit about what it's like to work in corporate dentistry, because, you know, that's a different role. You've actually done, you know, private practice, you've done teaching and you've done, you know, working in corporate as an educator, but still very different, very different environments from academia and private practice. So talk a little bit more about that. Without a doubt, different environments. In my first year at Dent Spice Arona, full-time as a clinical educator, I think my boss, Gail Malone, who was great, great mentor to me, she she kept saying, we're not in academia <laughs> because it's just such a different mindset. And I'd be like, why can't we do this? And so, yeah, I, I had to learn maybe a purpose-driven way to go about my education. It wasn't, it didn't have the same platform. It didn't have the same maybe objectives. But it still, it still needed to be credible. It still needed to be unbiased, and you're offering CE credit. So totally different, but you start looking at things from a product standpoint. And um, I've come to love the Cavitron and the you know, CAD-CAM and, and everything else, CERAC that they have, and great, great products. But I don't think I ever would have gotten that product um, knowledgeable, if you will. And, and I learned a lot about research. I learned a lot about corporate research and that research done by companies doesn't necessarily make it bad research. And just that whole mindset of expense accounts from traveling and, uh, you know, numbers and things like that. Uh, I loved it, but I loved working with the sale team. I love being successful because I think when you are on stage and you are organic and you are authentic, I believe in it. I believe in ultrasonic instrumentation. I believe it has to be taught in more depth, more fundamentally and what a company to do with, with Cavitron. So um, I learned an awful lot, life lessons. Um, I got lost a lot. <laughs> I was in Europe a lot and I loved every minute of it, but it's hard. It's hard work to be on the road like that all the time. And I think I did a nice stint with it. And, but definitely, definitely, definitely different. But I also worked with a lot of DSOs. So I, I worked with the national sales team who handle the Aspens, the North American dental groups, the larger group accounts. And I also changed my mindset on those because I think I had perhaps narrow vision going into it. And what I learned along the way that some of them do it quite well. And, you know, you have that safety net of other clinicians you're working with. And so I was exposed to that world, um, got a lot of great positive feelings from it. And they're not going away. DSOs are not going away. And, um, you know, we have to embrace what they're doing and, and hopefully they'll continue to do it right. You know, I'm so glad you brought that up because I have been saying that for quite some time. I can't believe that we as a profession shun or for lack of a better word, I think that's just, that's the word that came to my mind, but actually, you know, distance ourselves from DSOs. It's just a different type of practice model. No different from your choice. It's the, it, whoever the practitioners are that are working for a group organization is making a choice. You know, it, it could be a family choice that necessitates that. It could be a, a benefits choice that necessitates that where, you know, in a private practice, you, you may not get benefits, but in a DSO, you do. You know, all of those things factor into our reasons for doing some things. 
Now, I think it's important that, that people understand that it's all a choice and it's okay. Everybody, there's room enough for everything. Yeah. And, you know, some of these entities, and I won't mention individual ones, but they were all about education. And, and boy, they knew, they knew how to work with corporate entities like Densply and Hefridi and P&G to get us in there to speak to their group. It does nothing but but help to calibrate and to enhance. And they were very, a lot of them very CE-oriented you know, and I think that some of them can break a little bit more on, on production-based, but at the end of the day, to your point, you never know why people are in where they're in or um, look at what we're going through now. I mean, DSOs or private practices, they have to be scared to death. And I, have, I would be remiss to not have the opportunity to just, to just mention the whole climate and how the hygienists feel versus the dentist as far as getting back to work. And it's tricky. So I have, I, I mean, because of my living with a dentist, I understand overhead. I understand that end of the practice probably more so than others. And I can see the dentist panicking that we got to get back to work. And I can see the hygienist feeling, are we safe? But we've got to be in the middle and not attack each other. And, and I think there's going to be some giving and some understanding and some communication on both sides. But you know, we're licensed professionals and we committed to do a job. I agree. And we got to support that job in, in the role that we have. I think that's a really good point. And one of the things that I find, you know, when we had discussions with the leadership of um, the Massachusetts Dental Hygiene Association was that, you know, you've got to take ownership. Everybody has to take ownership for their role in the practice. And when you do and you educate yourself, so for example, I, I had one of the hygienists bring up to me, well, the doctor is not giving us any guidance. And I said, well, then maybe the onus should be on you to provide the guidance to the doctor. I said, I don't think that's your role, but if, if you're not getting what you need from that person, then you either, you've, had, you've got two choices the way I see it. You you either provide the guidance and make recommendations to your doctor, which creates higher value for you as an employee. Absolutely. Or you, you know, make a choice to go someplace else. So, you know, it's you either stay, you go, and that's totally up to you and it's okay. But if you're not getting what you need, then you've got to find a way to do that. Right. I think it's a mentality standpoint. I truly do. And I feel like, my message out there lecturing about ultrasonics, I'll just use for an example, is, you know, you've got to get out of the back seat of the car and get up in the front seat with your doc, and you've got to co-pilot on some level. And, you know, take the AAP classifications, for example. That's a tough shift. It is a new system. It is some perceive it as being complicated. I think that people are starting to put their arms around it more so. But I'll say right in that audience, the hygienist needs to own that on some level. You should be the one that is pulling down cases to say, let's calibrate on this. Let's decide if this is a stage three, you know, grade B patient. Um, be the one that does the follow through because it's not that the docs don't necessarily want to incorporate it, but they're, they're doing their operative. They're running a practice. And I truly feel, I, I, I feel both sides of the equation. However, I feel like if totally to your point, if you're not liking the way it's going, find a way to respectfully and professionally say, hey, can we look at doing it this way or that way? And I mean, take insert wear, for example, with the, with the uh, Cavitron inserts. 
there are a lot of dentists out there that don't necessarily even know what it means to be worn down to a certain point. I mean, a lot of hygienists don't know, understand a, a class three composite in, in a matrix system, but, but I remember when I said to my husband, two millimeters of wear is going to, is going to produce 50% more lateral pressure. It's going to take you longer to do it. It's why people are like this. It's like when you drill this, you wouldn't drill with a burr that's worn down. So I think that if we pr present things, because I don't think there's any doctors that want their hygienists working with subpar instruments. I mean, to a point, you're not going to have everything brand new, but I don't think they want to work with things. I mean, I, you probably know there are some ultrasonic inserts out there that don't belong in those drawers. They, they, they don't belong anywhere. And you know what? That's a slippery slope because if you're, doing a quad scale, if you're doing a perio non-surgical for X amount of thousand dollars and you're using equipment that's absolutely not efficient, that, that's, a, that's an ethical dilemma that I think that the hygiene industry needs to own. What does it mean to have discussions that are not, I need some more. I mean, and I'm not being demeaning when I use that example, but you have to say more than I need some more or I never get any. It has to be, you know, whether it's statistics, whether it's uh, analogies, the conversation has to be better and, and that development has to start in the schools. We in the schools have to be able to, to teach language bullets, language skills to the hygienists to, to be able to have discussions to allow them to work to their best potential and, and understand that they are a team player. There is a hierarchy, but they are a team player and to be heard, you've got to have a good way of presenting. I mean, I really feel confident about that aspect and I don't like what the victim mentality. I, I struggle with that. So find an answer, find the best way to do it and do your job and do it, do it really well. Absolutely. Great, 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 great info. Thank you so much. So let's get to some of the questions that I, that I ask guests. And uh, the first one I have for you is what is the single best piece of advice you've ever received in dentistry? Or you can choose your life. I mean, either one. Okay, so I'll do two quick ones. The first one in dentistry was always do the best work you can, even though nobody's watching you. And I relate that again also to your equipment and what you're doing and what you're enrolling as far as treatment and what you're recommending. Always do the very best you can do, no matter that there's nobody watching or you're not going to get credit for it. Just do your best every day. And that was a dentist back in Boston who I worked for right out of school, very young, Dr. Burke uh, in downtown Boston, Federal Street. He was just a, a fabulous mentor. And he told me that as a very young hygienist because I was nervous working initially. And he just said, you know what? Do the very best you can do. And I think that's important. And, you know, for women, I think my best advice was from my former director back in Texas. Um, and, and I had tiny ones at the time and I was working full time. And I remember she would say to me repeatedly, be a mother first and educator second and, and, and keep that, you know, and because I think we are workaholics, those of us in education, we, we take it very seriously that we're passing on education and those little ones, are little ones once. So I'm trying to be that type of director too. I have faculty now with children and, you know, you've got to find that balance and boy, they're, they're homeschooling their kids <laughs> and, and trying to work. And, and so um, I think, just in dentistry in general, those are probably two of the best advice I got to balance my life and, and try to do the right thing. Yeah, that's great advice. Both pieces spot on, I think. What helped you most, do you think, to get to where you are today? 
I think connection, certainly. I think my own inner drive. I just, I, I don't stay still long. I, I like to challenge myself. So I'm going to give most of the credit to myself for pushing myself along and, and having that. I can do that. <laughs> I can do that. But I, I, I will credit my husband very much so for giving me the confidence that I needed, I think, to go into teaching because I just was like, oh, I, I could never do that. And so I, I would say that he had a lot to do with my career development and just people I met along the way. Elaine Madden, my former director, has been an incredible role model. You know, you look at those speakers like Linda Miles, the big ones. I remember thinking, wow, Karen Davis, Cindy Byron, some speakers that I saw along the way that I saw them connect. I saw them with a huge audience, but I, you felt like they were speaking to you and they helped to mold my career because I kept thinking, I want to be able to give, you know, impart that type of knowledge, whatever the, the you know, atmosphere is or, or the platform, but just being exposed to some really great, not only just women, people, great mentors. So tell me, uh, let's go back to your comment about drive. Is that something that you think that you have had your entire life or do you think that's something that you developed? Hmm. So if you reflect back on your life, do you remember having that drive and determination as a young woman? I laughed. I giggled because um, I didn't think I would have answered it this way, but it just what popped into my head. I think I have always had a lot of energy a lot of type A energy. And I think what I've learned to do over the years is harness it, harness it and focus it. So whether you want to call it drive or energy, I've always had these thoughts that I, I could do this, I could do that. And fortunately, it's always been laced with how it can benefit people. I mean, I, I love that student age range of, of 20 to 24, you know, and they're just finding their lives. And it's just such an honor to walk them through that. So I think the drive or that natural energy just kept increasing as I was exposed to new environments and new opportunities. So I, I think, I think I can probably best say that I had a lot of fear. I had a lot of fear and anxiety though on speaking and, and who I was. I think it took me a while to really feel good in my own shoes. It did. And, you know, I think that's just the natural course of life, but I think that any young woman in particular that wants to move their career along should get connected, you know, listen to, to podcasts like these, listen to opportunities to see how women did make it because, you know, I was not the top of my class. <laughs> Marion can tell me that you, you know, I, I was not, I, I, but I, I was very um, attracted to the profession and I believed in myself and I, and I, I have good conversation skills. I have good communication skills. And I think it's very important to work on those because I do think that we are an era of being down on the phones and um, maybe not having that eye to eye connection and having that gratitude. If, if someone does show you the way and give you a hand, be grateful because that's powerful. I agree with you. Um, I think that you've hit on a couple of really great things here. One being that you know, that we have this innate ability, we just have to harness it. And I, I kudos for you for figuring that out early in your life. And then secondarily, you know, we, we do have to, you know, find our own path, right? And we have to create that and fear only is something that's, that's in our imagination. And it's never really as bad as we make it out to be in our mind. It's always 10 times worse in our mind than it actually is in real life, right? And after you accomplish something, you're just like, wow, I did that, you know, and you get to very powerful back 
exactly and say, oh my gosh, I didn't think I could do that, but I actually did do it. So pushing ourselves to get through that fear part, you know, I think is creates more momentum and more of that energy you were talking about. I agree. And I think, I think the huge key too is, you know, again, having that exposure to speaking internationally and, and speaking a lot in the, in the United States, you got to stay humble. <laughs> you got to stay, you know, you got to stay grounded and, and keep up with your evidence and speak to the evidence. You can be charming, you can be enjoyable, but you've got to stay grounded and humble and, you know, respect everyone's opinion, respect different audiences, different venues of dentistry. And, and I think you've got to be flexible. I think that's flexibility because if you stay too rigid in what you believe, I think that holds you back too. And, and whether it's fear or rigidity, you got to work past that and, and let yourself go a little bit, go with the flow. I agree. I agree. So what obstacle have you overcome in your lifetime that you're most proud of? It was that anxiety. It was, um, I think it was an anxiety disorder even. And, and I'll never forget the, the first time I was to teach a class back in Texas where I, where I was actually given a coordinator role. And I had all the handouts, you know, and all the books and I'm walking down the hall and I, I said, hello class. And I put the books down and I went, I'll be right back. <laughs> and I went into the, I went into the locker room and I put my head between my knees and I started breathing and I called my husband. I said, I can't do this. They have the wrong person. I, can't, I cannot do this. And he said, listen, you know a lot more than they do. <laughs> These were brand new first year students. So, you know, I, I think honestly, I, I, if I can say one thing, it's overcoming that fear of, am I good enough? Can, you, can I do it? Can I deliver? Am I as, as smart as the others? And, and I will tell you, I'm probably not as smart as the others, but I know how to break things down and convey things to a point where people get it. And at the end of the day, what's most important is people get it. People get your information. That's right. And you know what I have found in my career the best dentists, the best hygienists are not the ones that are at the top of their class. The 4.0, right, right. Uh, they are not. Agreed. So the best are the ones that work hard for it. They understand. They communicate with their patients. They make a connection with their patients, just like you made, you're making connections with your students. You make that connection, and those are the most successful clinicians, I think. The ones that make you feel comfortable enough to be able to trust because we're working in close proximity, aren't we? You know, when we're in the mouth and people need to, to trust you. And if they don't trust you and they'll, they, they will, they'll see right through you in two seconds. If they don't trust you, they won't be back. Absolutely. And, and I, I truly believe in the word energy and positive energy. And you know, people that have been surrounded with Katrina Sanders, you, you know, yourself, uh, Michelle Card, all kinds of different speakers, you're attracted to their energy. And, and if I can give any advice to people, trust your inner inner when you do feel you're in the company of someone that you just, you're attracted to their energy and their vibe. And I think you should try to mirror that and try to work on that because you know, there's a lot of negative folks out there and that, that can stop your dreams quickly and stay positive and surround yourself. And Duffy, I mean, you know, there's some just great, passionate, upbeat women in dentistry and find a retreat, find, find something where you can go and connect with them if you do want to go beyond the clinical aspect because, you know, there's things out there. But, you're, but even just chair side dentistry, I shouldn't say just chair side dentistry, 
you know, the art of patient enrollment and patient trust comes down to communication at the end of the day. It, it comes down to communication and teamwork with your hygienist. And it, you've got to be able to co-diagnose. You, you have to be able to do that dance together well, I think, to have a successful practice. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. In fact, I, I remember the hygienist that I had for the longest time in my practice. I think she was with me eight years. And I got her right out of hygiene school. Um, and she went to a community college, brilliant young woman, brilliant. But one of the things that I really appreciated about her is she right from the get go said, okay, tell me what you want the flow to be. And I will make sure that I work that into my practice. Cause she understood that the two of us needed to work together. And I think too, you know, with, with a little bit of hygiene background in my, in my wheelhouse, you know, I understood what it was like to be in her shoes and in, while she didn't know what it was like to be in my shoes, but she understood what her role was and how it could support me. And that's extremely valuable. When you create more value for people that you work with, people that you work for, that does not go unnoticed. That goes, that goes miles and miles and miles for you. And I think that in, in the dental office, in the dental field, I think there's a lack of intra-professional right. education and inter is very big, learning about the different health disciplines. But intra, I, I think hygienists should understand the complexity of doing a good class three composite, not to the depth that the dentist knows, but how do you really say to your patients, oh, he or she does a beautiful restoration, do we really know what they want us polishing with? So I think there needs to be a little bit more understanding of what both parties do in order to lift each other up and, and, and have a real, you know, supportive relationship. So I think that I love the way you said when she said, uh, tell me what you want the flow to be. That's, that's, that's cool for a young, you know, clinician to be able to pick up on that and detect that because it is a dance and it does not work. You can feel negative energy all the way down the hall in an office or in, in, a, in a speaking auditorium. You can feel negative energy and people don't want to be around it. Without a doubt. And if you're up there and you've had a bad day, oh my gosh, they oh, know. Oh right yeah, <laughs> that's right. Or a late flight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So when you reflect back, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about your energy and, and your relentless pursuit. Tell me a little bit about your confidence. It sounds as if you always had confidence in your ability outside of maybe speaking, but it sounds like you have had confidence in your ability to accomplish things. Is that a true assessment or, or not? I was one to never leave something undone or unfinished. And I just knew that. That just wasn't an option. I think I was brought up that way. But, you know, I always... I grew up with, with a father that was very gregarious and, and uh, really knew how to communicate with people. And I think the combination of understanding you've got to get something done, but how to communicate respectfully and in, in a, in a um, congenial way gave me the confidence to, I know I'm going to get this done and I'm going to get it done with a smile on some level. So I, I think the confidence was always there. I think dentistry can be intimidating and, and it is a very professional skill obviously and I think sometimes 
going through the years with it, you, you are con concerned on some level, do, do they know more than I do? Am I, am I not looking at this correctly? So I think I struggle with confidence maybe in those areas, but as I matured and got older, uh, I'm, I'm so comfortable to say to anyone out there, especially younger folks, younger people, younger women in dentistry that you don't know what you don't know. And you learn that only by experience and by, so, I, I just think the only thing that I struggled with was they're going to know I don't know. And, and whether that's anxiety or, or what it is. Um, but I always had just kind of this deep down feeling that I was going to continue and do good things. And, and I think that's my heart. My heart wants to do that. And I've been very lucky. That's awesome. It is important to realize that how much the mind can mess that up for us, though, isn't it? Because once those thoughts start to go down that negative path, your whole emotional being goes down there with you doesn't it and it's so hard sometimes to course correct and turn around and like oh my gosh what am i doing you know our minds can really control so much of our bodies and what happens it's in amazing. other people's minds other people's minds can do that to you and and you know i've been in situations where i've had leaders that have wanted to control my mind or or allow me to feel a certain way about myself that i didn't that i should not have so it's also who you kind of run into along the way and and you know that goes back to that feeling that right vibe and feeling that positive energy because people if you're not careful will put you down or, or hold you back and i will say also kind of getting some some notoriety and and having the company and and having a name on some level out there you are going to have some people that are not happy with your with your success and you know find what find things to not like about you and and all i can say is whether you, you know you have two or three evaluations where they were not happy with something you look at those 96 percent and you go with that because there's always going to be disgruntled people and, and people that want to see you fail but encircle yourself in that bubble of of confidence and just know that i can do this i can reach out and connect with people and i can do this so I think that's important to understand when there's red flags up there that you need to avoid, uh, you know, people having ulterior motives and the wrong reasons. Well, and I do think most people that, that tend to put you down are people that are just unhappy in life and themselves. And it's sad, but you know, it's so true. It, it is. And, and I think that if you can become more confident in your younger years as a clinician, certainly back in school, I think it's our jobs as educators and mentors to help develop that confidence because I find that oftentimes students will come in and they're really unsure. They, they really have a hard time sometimes making a decision. And I think that we are called to help them be better decision makers too, because you know, dentistry, dentists, and even more so, you're going to make a split decision sometimes. And, you know, I, I think that it's very important to make, develop good decision makers, uh, diagnosticians, you know, clinicians that will choose the right thing for the patient for the right reasons. And um, choosing is the, is the main word there. So uh, I, I think sometimes lack of confidence also equates to someone that doesn't make quick or good decisions. And I agree. I agree. So tell me, um, is there anyone in dentistry who really inspires you? Yeah, I mean, like I mentioned, so many of the speakers that that I've that I've been around, Renee Graham, Monica Montesantifil, she's great. The, the speakers I was in touch with at Densply Serona, you know, I did a retreat over to or a mission trip over to Romania um, with a group called Serving Him out of Dallas, and um, that dentist had the most beautiful heart that started that. And 
actually I took my daughter, she was 16 on that trip and that was life changing for her. She, she was able to really get into dentistry because the laws are a little bit different over there, but I was just so grateful to him to expose me to such beautiful people that were just so humble and grateful that you were coming from America to take care of them. And um, I think anyone that can do a mission trip at any point in time, it gives great clarity to what you're doing. Um, certainly Esther Wilkins, um, you know, different faculty that I've worked alongside. Uh, you know, I, I just think again, Claire Young, who has the student RDH, uh, very inspiring, brilliant young woman. Just a lot of people that are taking their niche and harnessing it and putting it out there, especially in this world of virtual social media, that are doing it with class and doing it with elegance. And you know, you you took part of that whole for the students the video thing. I think that we need to reach out. That was a great idea you guys had. It was an amazing idea. That came to me in the middle of the night. You know, unbelievable. <laughs> Good job. My heart was just breaking for these students that couldn't graduate yet because of COVID and. So anyone that doesn't know, we created a, a jingle to We Are the World, We Are Hygienists. Um, MJ did a great uh, piece uh, intro on that. and There was a ton of really great people in that. You and, and I, I don't remember the guy that was dressed up in, in costume, but oh my God, he was hysterical. Oh, Dr. Kamer, Chris Kamer, he's actually the head of AOSH, American Academy of Oral Systemic. Oh, oh he's he, he doesn't mind if I say it. he's crazier than days long, but beautiful passion. He's inspiring. He's incredibly inspiring. So, you know, people like that, they just love and want to get back and have fun. You know, Vanessa Emerson, great people. Oh, amazing. Vanessa Emerson. I call her the connector. She is great. And she's just so calm. <laughs> and I'm like, mm. yeah, we're all going to buck 10 and she's like, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I have I have great. Let me just say one more thing. I have great respect for people that do good dentistry, good fair dentistry, for the right reasons. There you go. There you go for the right reasons. And I think we all we all should you know aspire to be there for sure. Tell us one thing that people would be surprised to know about you. Hmm. That I love Tom Brady. <laughs> um, you're from New England, duh. So one of the things that used to drive the sales guys crazy or the salespeople, I should say crazy at Densify was every time I would go to a different location, I'd do my presentation. <laughs> I'd do the whole intro and I'm from Boston. Up would come Tom Brady's picture and all the women in the audience would go, but a lot of them would go, boo. So it, it always got me a little mileage and it, it, was, it was funny type of thing. But I think a lot of people don't know I'm a half Texan, half Texan, half Bostonian. Yeah, I did not know that you were from Texas either. So did, where did you grow up? Milton, right outside of Boston. Okay, okay. So you grew up here, then left, and spent 20 years or so in Texas? I had both my babies down there, and, um, you know, as time went on. What made you guys decide to move back? Just a lot of factors. My mom was getting really sick, and, and um, he was at a point where he could do an earlier retirement. And um, because, I mean, when you're based somewhere, which is his practice was in Dallas, it was a family decision. It was a great decision, and I'm very grateful for it. And he taught at Tufts for a little bit. Oh, awesome. Yep. Peter Arsenal was, yep. was yep. yes. So, yep. but yeah, New England is so different from Texas. So, you know, I'm, I'll never forget when I moved down there in the 80s and I would talk. <laughs> <laughs> with the accent they kept going what are you saying and um two different worlds i might as well live globally so um i think that's something that 
people don't know about me that I spent half my life away. Um, otherwise, I'll be honest with you, I'm a pretty open book. <laughs> I am. I, I struggle with that question. I don't think there's a whole lot people don't know about <laughs> right or wrong. <laughs> there you go. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I love a gregarious personality that shows the world who they are. So that to me is the epitome of who you are, which is great. Me which too. Is Thank really you. Great. Thank you. Back at you. Thanks. So what's your, what's your favorite way to relieve stress? We all have stress in our lives and, and we all have to dissipate that stress because obviously it's not good energy. It's more on the negative side. So how do you dissipate yours? Well, I would love to say I do yoga and all that kind of stuff. I do do, I do, do yoga, not as much as I used to, but I, I really like to shop. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so a little, a little retail therapy. I have a lot of clothes. It's a problem. And, and I, was, I was changing out the summer line to the, of the winter line to the summer line. I went, this has got to stop. <laughs> you know, I don't need five years of black shorts. And at this point, right, it's like, oh my gosh, what am I doing with all this stuff? Because I'm not going anywhere. I have all, a closet full of suits that I haven't even been wearing because Okay, so now we go, we get changed oh, into scrubs when we get to work, right? So I can go in jeans or I can go in, in an outfit, but it's like not, not anybody's going to see me, so might as well just be comfortable. Uh, I, I do love to do that. I love to go to the beach. I only have my dad now, and, and many of you know my dad from the <laughs> podcast interviews I do with him on Facebook. He's a big Facebook hit. He's 92, and every time I see, every time I see him, he goes, are we going to get on with my friends on the show? <laughs> yeah, they don't want to see you that often. <laughs> oh, yeah, they do. They love him. I love, I love spending time with him. I cherish every day because, you know, we know that's not always permanent. I just, I, I love doing gardening outside like that. But I, I'm super, super busy, to be honest. And I'll tell you, I'm busy to a fault. And I'm trying to work on slowing things down because... Balancing that better. I am. Life is short and I, I'm working on trying to... Find finish lines a little bit earlier. Good for you. Good for you, as we all should, because if COVID 19 hasn't taught us anything, it should teach us how to be more balanced in our family life and our work life, because we do need to have that break. We do. Everything that's been going on in the country, we should all step back and look at the bigger picture. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you have a personal motto or mantra that you live by? It's too late now. <laughs> well, that's a good one. It's actually our family slogan, and it fits so many scenarios. You're like, oh, I should have gone here first. Too late now, and so, um, be still, listen, be a better listener. I used to do this a lot with my students. Uh, Nike, you know, just do it. I don't want to hear nine reasons why you can't do it. We used to do the little swoosh. Uh, anything centered around not being a victim, you know, taking taking care of your bandwidth so you're not listening to a lot that you don't necessarily need to. But yeah, those are kind of some, some of my slogans that I live by. Be really good, good ones. Really good ones. Oh, thank you. Really good ones. Thank you. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure spending the afternoon with you, Marianne. Honest to goodness, I, I think we could talk for like five more hours, seriously. I think so too, but we both need to wind the day down, but um, we'll, con we'll continue this, I'm sure, uh, in another time. We live close by. I know. I have no doubt, my friend. So thank you so much for being on the podcast and see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Women in Dentistry podcast with Dr. MJ Hanlon. If you like our show and want to know more about us, 
check out our website, thewomenindentistry.com, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us for our next episode as we bring you another amazing woman leading the way for the next generation.